0: And you may now open your Bible. Let's go to the book of Revelation, shall we? Hallelujah. What a wonderful book. This book of Revelation. Last week, we started in on chapter 22. Do you remember that? And we covered the first five verses. And we learned about the new Jerusalem with the river and the tree and God himself. And tonight, we finish up not only the grand old book of revelation, but we finish up the very end of the Bible itself, right down to the word. Amen. We have here the great winding up of revelation and the new Testament. And so it's very fitting that we look at the remaining verses of revelation under this title. Jesus is coming again. Let's have a word of prayer. And then uh, with your Bible open at Revelation 22, we're going to start right in on verse number six, our heavenly father, we give you the honor and praise and glory. We have the privilege of having studied the entire book of revelation after tonight, every chapter, every verse and almost every word and our father, we thank you so very much for what a journey is ours It's taken us the better part of this year, but oh my, what a blessing it has been. And we ask that you would put the capstone on it now tonight and help our faith to take another step upward, always upward. Father, bless all who are in attendance here in the auditorium and all who are watching online. And I pray for every single one of us that we could put aside distractions and thoughts that have nothing to do with the the message at hand. And we could focus in on what you have for us. Bless your people. I ask this in Jesus name. Amen. All right, folks, let's look at it. Verse number six. Uh, How about you can keep your seats there, but you read it out loud with me. How about we do that? I hope you brought your Bible. Let's read together. And he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Now, I'd like you to put your finger there in that portion and turn back to chapter one of Revelation, because I think you'll agree that there seems to be a connection here. Revelation chapter one and verse number one. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants, things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. And so going back to chapter 22 at the end of verse number six, we see this connection uh, to show unto his servants, The things which must shortly be done. Now, there definitely appears to be a connection between chapter 1 and chapter 22, just as there is a connection uh, with Jesus being the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And here we have a connection between the beginning of Revelation and the end of Revelation. Now, verse number 7 Jesus is the one speaking, and he says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Now, something interesting the Lord Jesus says this, this same truth in effect three times. He says he's coming, and this is the first time he says it. And he even prefaces his statement with the, uh, the interjection, Behold, which announces something striking or something startling. And so he says, Behold, I come quickly. And yet, people have to sit back and say, "Ah, what does that mean? It's been 2,000 years since this was written. And here we are in uh, this amazing uh, 2020. Just about 2,000 years. And the Lord hasn't come back yet. What, What does it mean? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because we shall soon have our answer. If you just sit on that question just for a little while, I think we'll have our answer. But I want you to notice the Lord attaches a blessing uh, to those who will keep the sayings of this book in verse seven. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. The book of Revelation is a specially given book from God to his people. And there is a blessing. To be found in reading it and studying it. Now, verses eight and nine. And I, John saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, see thou do it not for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren, the prophets and of them, which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. Now it's very easy for us to sit back in our comfort and wonder how in the world that the apostle of all people, the apostle John could have made this mistake because indeed he fell at the feet of the angel and began to worship. And you say that is so out of character. That is so strange. How could he do that? Well, definitely it was a mistake. The angel took him to task On this. But you know, this is not just some, I don't know, fly by night Christian. This is the Apostle John himself. And we wonder how could he how could he make this this gross mistake? Well, I suggest to you something. I suggest to you that anyone having been exposed to the things that John has just been exposed to, he was worshiping the Lord uh, in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I believe that Sunday, I don't believe that was Saturday. I believe that Sunday and he was worshiping the Lord in the spirit on the Lord's day. And all of a sudden there's the Lord Jesus Christ in this tremendous form. And things begin to boot into high gear and one chapter after the next, after the next, and he's amazed at the things he's seeing and he's writing them down and he's asking questions and he's, he's, transported to heaven and then transported back to earth. And then I think back to heaven again. And then he, he sees all of the things that will be happening before the tribulation. He sees the tribulation itself. He sees what's happening after the tribulation and the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the the revolt again of Satan and all of the unsaved that'll be born during the millennial kingdom and how the fire of God comes down and consumes them and how the great white throne is set up and how people are, are, are the unsaved are, brought there and are judged and are cast into the lake of fire where uh, Satan and the antichrist and the false prophet are. And then he sees the new heaven and the new earth because the old heaven and the old earth are revamped by fire. And he sees the new Jerusalem, 1,500 miles one way, 1,500 miles another way, and 1,500 miles straight up like a cube descending out of heaven. And he sees things incredible, incredible, incredible. He sees the tree of life. And I think at this point, he is so overwhelmed and exhausted. And I think that anyone in that situation might have made the similar mistake. And I'll give you an example of what I'm saying. Back in Matthew chapter 17, you have Jesus taking three of his disciples up to what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. What were the names of the disciples? Peter, James, John, Peter, James, and John. And those are the three he took with him up to the top. It was late at night. They were very tired. Jesus clothes changed to this glistening glory. His face, I think radiated as well. And there before Jesus were two disciples, Of the Old Testament saints. Who were they? Starts with an M. Moses and. Starts with an E. Elijah. Moses and Elijah. And these two glorified saints are standing there talking with, with the Lord Jesus. There's Peter along with James and John. And they're exhausted. And I believe overwhelmed by what they're witnessing and seeing. And in that state of mind, Peter made the mistake. And he venerated Moses and Elijah on the same plateau as the Lord Jesus. And that was a mistake. And that's when the heavenly father overshadowed them with a cloud and the voice was heard. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. So you see, I do believe that anyone in, in a, in a condition of uh, exhaustion and over being overwhelmed could have made uh, a mistake like this. Nevertheless, the angel's admonition is good advice for us here tonight. And look what he says in the last two words of verse nine, worship God. Now, would you say that's correct? Yes or no? Yes. Hello? Yes. Sure is. Yes. Amen. Did you know that 10 times in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 10 times there are sincere Believers that come to Jesus Christ and worship him, sometimes holding on to his feet, but worshiping him. And not once did he ever rebuke them. Not once did he ever say the words that this angel said to John when he said, uh, see thou do it not for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren, the prophets and of them, which keep the sayings of this book, worship God never, ever, not once did Jesus ever say it. In fact, Thomas, when Thomas saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, what were Thomas's own words? He said, my Lord and my God. That's what he said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus never said, oh, time out, Thomas. (laughs) You got the wrong guy here. I am not God. I'm just a created being. I am not God. I'm just something else. Never did he ever say that. He received the testimony of Thomas. He received the worship of those sincere believers. Now, all of this can only add up to one thing. Jesus is God. Say it with me. Jesus is God. And therefore, he needs to be worshiped. The advice of this angel is still true today. Worship God. You are on safe ground when you worship at the feet of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now verse number 10. And he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Perhaps you've read the book of Daniel. Perhaps you've read chapter 12 of Daniel, where the angel said to Daniel, to seal up some of the writings until the end time. Here, however, John is specifically told not to seal any of his writings. Why? Because the time is at hand. Ever since the church got underway, we've been in the last days, folks. At any time, Jesus could have come back and the rapture could have happened. The tribulation would have gotten underway. Let me ask you this. Are you glad or sad that Jesus didn't come back a day before you got saved? Huh? At some point, you got got saved, you repented of your sins, and you trusted in Christ, and you got born again. For me, it was on April the 6th, 1975. If Jesus had have come in the clouds and the rapture had to happen on April the 5th, which was a Saturday because I got saved on a Sunday. If he had come back on the Saturday, then guess who went, go right into the tribulation. I'm so glad Jesus didn't come back on that Saturday, April the 5th. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't come back the day before you got saved? hmm? You know, something I've thought of time and again is those, Israelites in the wilderness. You remember they came out of Egypt there under Moses and anyhow, they rebelled at Kadesh Barnea and they said, no, we're not going into that promised land. Moses, you're just trying to kill us. Ah, we wish we were back in Egypt. And so God said, okay, all of you who are 20 years of age and older, you will die in the wilderness. Do You remember reading that? Hmm? Pity the poor guy who just had his 20th birthday. He just turned 20 that very morning Ah. and his buddy whose birthday is the next day. The very next day, his buddy gets to go into the promised land. Whereas he himself, he's going to die. His carcass is going to fall in the wilderness. And yet that was the line that God drew in the sand. Did you know that Jesus is coming back? Yes. And it will happen one day. And there will be people who are thinking about getting saved, thinking about it, thinking about it. And Jesus comes back. And now the only way they're going to get saved is if they, they end up martyrs in the tribulation. That's going to be the price of salvation for many. There will be hundreds of millions of people saved and hundreds of millions die. Oh, the blood will flow. Better to get saved now. Don't you think? Amen. We are quiet tonight. Aren't we? Well, it's been a hard day, I suppose, but that's all right. I'm excited. I'm excited because boy, oh boy, oh boy, we've got the book of revelation and the book of revelation is not a sealed book. It's not a mysterious book. And some people say, Ooh, the book of Revelation. Ooh, you can't really know what that's all about. Ooh, so many symbols. Ooh, so much analogy. Ooh, deep things. Mm, men have tried for many years. Don't you believe it? The very name of the book is what? Revealing, Revelation. That's the name of the book. It's not sealed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, over the last 2000 years of church history, prophecy and end times have been spoken of, but not a whole lot. Even in the 1500s, the time of the Reformation with Luther and those guys, they were concentrating more on the doctrines of salvation and justification. And not so much on the the subject of eschatology, which is the study of future things. They were not so much concerned with the book of revelation as they were concerned with the, the book of Romans and justification by faith. And so that's where their hearts were at. And they were glad to accept the, the doctrines of the Catholic church because the reformers came out of the Catholic church. They were Protestants. They protested. They came out of the Catholic church. Baptists have never been part of the Catholic church. We have never been part of the Catholic church. We never came out of the Catholic church. We are not Protestant. We're Bible believers. And there's been Bible believing Christians and Christian churches down the last 2000 years that have never been part of Rome. And that's the history of Baptist is they have believed in the Bible and the Bible only. And they've existed all along these last 2000 years. And we just got in today a new stack, a copy of the book called The Trail of Blood. If you don't have a copy of that book, wow, you got to get a copy tonight before you leave. I think it's $2 or I don't know what it is, $3 or something. Ask Mrs. White. She knows knows everything. (laughs) But you ask her, you need to read that book. J.M. Carroll was the man who gave his life to studying the history of the Baptists, and he will show you all of the historical proofs and evidences you need to see. Now they haven't always been called Baptist churches, but they've all believed in the same thing, the Bible and the Bible only. Unfortunately, that got him into trouble with the church at Rome because the Roman church doesn't believe that. The Roman church has certain doctrines and one of them is called amillennialism. And that means there's no millennial kingdom of Christ. They throw into that also. There's no tribulation and the reformers back in the 1500s, they were happy and they were content with the all millennialistic doctrines of the Catholic church. However, in the last 200 years or so, there's been a tremendous resurgent, almost like a, an information explosion of interest on the subjects of the tribulation and the millennial kingdom. And men have studied them in the book of Daniel as well. All of a sudden is not a sealed book anymore. Theologians are, and Bible expositors are digging deep and showing us great and amazing prophetic truths for today. Now we must move on verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he, which is filthy, let him be filthy still. Still, And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And you may wonder, what, what is he talking about? What's he referring to? What does this verse mean? And very simply, he's speaking of the eternal state of every human being after the great white throne judgment of Jesus Christ. Because after that great white throne judgment, that's it. It's done. This means there is no second chance. For anyone, no chance to change from being unjust to becoming just. And so in verse 11, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And you'll see how he picks up with this when we get down to verse 15. And then in verse 12, he says, and behold, I come quickly. Well, now here we have the second time that the Lord Jesus is saying it. And he adds to it and he says, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. And so we have the second time here in chapter 22 where the Lord Jesus is saying that he comes quickly. And I'll have you know that there are many scoffers today who laugh at this. Would you put your finger there, please, in chapter 22 and just turn back a few pages to Second Peter. Second Peter Chapter three, would you go there, please? Second Peter and chapter number three. And we find here the apostle Peter's commentary on the last days. And in verse three, second Peter three, three, he says, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days, scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And will stop there. And the truth is that those are false words because in the next couple of verses, Peter goes on to say they are willingly ignorant of Noah's flood because they're saying that since the days of creation, nothing has changed and peter says oh boy they've changed this is not the same world as it was prior to noah's flood it was a whole different ball game a whole different world back then and it changed and you know what it's going to change again this world is going to change again we are seeing around us day by day the changes taking place the weather the weather itself I think not just the the people have COVID-19. I think the weather patterns of the world has COVID-19 because it's convulsing. It is getting sick. The world weather-wise is reeling and staggering like a drunk man. It is going to get worse. These are the beginnings of sorrows, I think. We've got politics all over the world and uprisings and uh, terrorists. We've got the threat of nuclear war down our, our, our backs now. We've, we've got the money meltdown. We've got people who are losing their life savings and their fortunes and so on. Now, listen, we may feel still the, the effects of insulation here, here in this country. It's not affecting us as much as it is affecting other people in parts of the world. But there are places now and parts of the world that have been bad, but now people are scrambling to get out. It is so bad. It's like a death sentence to stay in some countries today. Things are getting increasingly worse. And we've learned over the last months of our study of revelation, what's going to happen in the tribulation when the tribulation really gets underway. It's going to make these days now of 2020 seem like the good old days Things will be so bad, so incredibly bad, like we've never, ever seen it before. But if we're saved, we won't be here. Amen. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah. We're going to be with Jesus. But the poor people left on earth after the rapture, these people will witness things that will just make your hair stand on end, make your eyeballs flip. They'll, they'll, in fact, many of them will not only wish they were dead, they will try to kill themselves, but it says death will escape them. They won't be able to kill themselves. Some will cry for the rocks and mountains to fall on them. Not going to happen. Their death wish is nothing but a wish. They'll be left on the planet to go through this time of the wrath of God. It's not the wrath of the devil. It's the wrath of God upon earth. My, oh my, Ooh, it is very scary. I think better to be saved now. And so the Lord says, I come quickly, regardless of the scoffers that Peter prophesied of. He says, I come quickly. And he says, I am bringing a reward. Notice that in verse 12. And my reward is with me. He says, did you know that no saint in the old Testament or in the new Testament has ever been fully rewarded yet and that Jesus is going to personally do the rewarding my reward is with me he's not going to have a whole bunch of angels hand us the rewards Jesus will do that personally i'm excited about that in verse 13 he goes on and he says i am alpha and omega the beginning and the end the first And the last, and here we have that same blessed description of Jesus that we saw in chapter one, verse eight and verse 11, verse 17, chapter two, verse eight and chapter 21, even verse six, the same wonderful Lord Jesus. And now we have in verse 14, his words, blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Some people interpret this as legalism. Well, in order to get to heaven, you have to keep doing the commandments. And if you ever stop, you're going to lose your salvation or your opportunity to enter into the celestial uh, garden there. But that's not what he is saying here. That is not what scripture teaches. Salvation, eternal salvation with God in heaven. Hallelujah. Forever is not based upon keeping any commandments. Rather, what we have here is a obedience to Christ out of a heart of true love and faith. This is faith as it is seen in works. If you will remember reading in James chapter two, verse 18, James said, you say you have faith, you know, show me. He says, I'll show you my faith by my works. He told us that faith without works is what? dead that means that that faith it doesn't live it's it's dead it doesn't exist you know uh, a human body without evidence of life is dead that makes very simple sense i know that (laughs) but if a human body is just laying there if the heart's not beating it's kind of a giveaway isn't it this 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 guy's dead Whereas if you see a human body walking around with its eyes open, breathing and moving, you'd say that one's alive because it has the evidence, the works of life. It's evident it's alive. But if there's no evidence of life, it's dead. And a faith that doesn't have any kind of works is dead. That's why. I think Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done this, that, and the other thing in thy name? And Jesus said, I never knew you depart from me. We work iniquity because the only way we can get saved and get to heaven is by doing the will of the father. And the will of the father is to repent of our sin and to trust and to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a reception of a free gift. It has nothing to do with works. We've been saved unto good works. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians. And so this here we have in verse 14, this is talking about saved people. This is an evidence of their salvation. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Blessed are they that love the Lord and, and they, they love his word and they, they uh, want to live their lives for him. These are all evidences of new life. In verse 15, we have now a tie in here with that verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. In verse 15, for without on the outside, we're still talking about that great new Jerusalem. For without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Well, here is a description of unsaved people that will be in the lake of fire. In fact, look back, please, at chapter 21 and verse 8. Would you look at that, please? But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Whoa. And so here we have a description in chapter 22, verse 15. We've got uh, uh, five, six different things here. The first are dogs. This is not the, uh, you know, little Fifi, the four footed friend. This is not that kind of dog. This is a biblical reference to people who enjoy filthiness and uncleanness. And they're called dogs. They love their filthiness. They love their uncleanness. And these people will be in the lake of fire sorcerers include witches and warlocks. And by the way, can I remind you, please, this Saturday is Halloween and Bible believing Christians don't celebrate Halloween. Halloween is nothing for the Christian to take part in with all the ghouls and goblins and a lot of zombies, it seems. And the stores, they seem to make their biggest profits, not at Christmas, but at Halloween. That's when people are going in buying the costumes and buying all the fake blood and decorating their whole houses to look like big cobwebs and big mortuaries and horrible things and graveyards in their front lawn, things like that. Sorcerers, witches, those involved with demonic things, people who want to uh, read your palm, read crystal balls, play with uh, tarot cards. That's a bad one. Play with Ouija boards. These things are the dark arts and these kind of sorcerers are going to be on the outside. This probably also might include hallucinogenic drugs and people who love their drugs like that. And then of course there's whoremongers. These are those who deal in prostitutes and the such like, and are involved in sexual sins There's a murderers are mentioned here. And we all say, yeah, well, murderers for sure. Those are the people who are involved with hatred. Hatred. According to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you could murder someone just with hatred in your heart. Dial H for murder. (laughs) H for heart. H for hatred. You can murder people in your heart. And of course, slaughtering. Murderers love to slaughter people. And then idolaters are essentially those who follow and worship and teach something other than the one true God. And so he finishes by saying, whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. So there's the liars, all the liars, so many liars. You know, my son was telling me that he uh, uh, went to do a job at a home and the equipment that the people had, Looked like it was kind of microwaved or or melted or something, and the people told my son, you know, my son's a technician, and uh, they told him uh, this is this is what the technician who installed it gave us, and they said uh, that uh, this was there was nothing else. This was all that that was available, and they the, the technician gave us this, installed this, and my son looked at it and he checked. And he he did a little research and he realized he was the technician who had installed that equipment and he would never ever on his life install a piece of trash like that. And so uh, he said to them, well, uh, as it happens, I'm the technician who put this in and oops, they got caught red faced in a lie. And there's lots of them out there. Lots of people lie to your face. Lie to your face. Uh, folks, you think Christians ought to be involved with lying? Yes or no? Doesn't seem like it's the Christian way, does it? And so the next time I ask you, will I see you in church on Sunday? Just something to think about. Let's move on. Verse number 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine uh, angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So who is this angel that is sent to testify in the churches? We don't have the time to go back and look at chapters two and three, but unto the angel of the church of, and you fill in the blank. And we determined months and months ago, they were talking about the pastor. But in this particular case, it may have been a reference to the apostle John himself through the book of Revelation. Because this revelation, this book of Revelation has gone to all those churches and churches all over the world. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is athirst Come. And whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely. Now we've studied the bride. We've studied it very carefully. And we know the bride is the church. We know that. And this is the last appeal we have in the whole Bible for unsaved people to come to Jesus and to be saved. And I want you to notice that it's the cooperation between the Holy Spirit and the churches on earth who are involved in soul winning. Now that's important. And Christian friend, are you involved? Are you helping in the church? Are you helping the church and the Holy spirit to bring salvation to the lost? Verses 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the Holy City and from the things which are written in this book. Now, this is a solemn warning this ought to make every one of us sit up straight and pay attention. The words here, the phrase, I should say, the words of the prophecy of this book, you'll find them written several times in this chapter. It's mentioned in verse seven and nine and 10 and 18 and 19. And what I'm pointing out here is it's the words themselves that give life. The words Of the Bible give life. Matthew 4, 4. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Say it. Every what? Say it. Word. word. Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It's the words that give life. What we need is we need every word of God. And what we must have is an every word Bible. Wouldn't you agree? We don't want to go missing some of the words that God has for us. That's why we use the King James Bible, because it's an every word Bible. The modern Bibles today are all saying different things, contradicting each other as well. And every single modern Bible seems to want to compare itself to the King James. And they all say, oh, uh, this new one is much easier to read than the King James. They never compare themselves with each other. Why this new international is much better, easier to read than the New American Standard? They wouldn't dare do that, otherwise they might get dragged into court. They get sued or something. No, they pick on the King James Bible. And they hold that up and they love to throw their rocks at the King James Bible. Well, let them throw, because the King James Bible is bulletproof. And I know, I know, I know, I know, not everyone is going to believe that. And I know, I know, I know, that there are those. That may be uh, watching this message later on on the internet when we post it. And they may jump out of their chair and say, why, that pastor is absolutely mistaken. Doesn't he know that the new Bibles are much more accurate? Oh, listen, sweetheart, I've done 40 years of study on the subject. And yeah, I've, I've read everything I can get my hands on. And I've stood back and I've looked at it all. And I'll tell you what. The King James Bible, particularly the new Testament is based on what we call the textus receptus, which came from the Asia minor area where the apostle Paul did all of his missionary journeys and started his churches and won souls and wrote his letters. And that's where we get the Greek texts for our King James Bible. The area known as Northern uh, uh, Africa and Egypt, particularly was a hotbed of liberalism. And, And at that time, 2000 years ago, every ism, could be found coming out of that, that part of the world. And that is where they got the texts that make up the modern Bibles, the new American standard, the new international version. And listen, listen, the new world translation. Now, what group is the new world translation connected with? What? Jehovah's witnesses. That's right. And their new world translation denies the deity of Jesus Christ and denies the existence of hell. And that, I'm not going to say a translation, it's a perversion. That book, that New World Translation, they call it, NWT, that thing is based upon the same Greek texts that the New International is based on, the New American Standard is based on, and so on, and so on. There's over 400, last count that I did, over 400 different English texts, translations of the bible what do we need 400 different translations in english of the bible well because it's those these and those oh what a shame the means you thou means you there you go there's your these and thous. listen if there's a word you don't understand look it up in a dictionary there's only about 90 less than 100 anyhow words you might have trouble with in the king james bible that's it No, I'd take the King James Bible. I'll tell you the words of the book of revelation. Well, let's say the entire Bible, even the words of the entire Bible are words of life. And if any man adds to God's words or takes away from God's words, then that man is perverting God's truth and is keeping lost people from coming to know Jesus Christ as savior. And God will deal very harshly with that man. And that man will end up, according to this in hell. This is the most solemn warning in the entire Bible ever given about messing with the word of God. Beware of anyone who tries to change the word of God. And this includes the modern Bibles in Jeremiah chapter 31. You will see judgment came upon King Jehoiakim because he took a penknife and started cutting up the portion of God's word and burning it in a fire and judgment came upon that man. Madeline Murray O'Hare was a wicked atheistic woman who publicly would rip and tear up bibles in her meetings. In 1995 she was kidnapped and murdered. Listen, God is very serious about his word. Peter spoke of people who try to twist and change and pervert the word of God in 2 Peter 3:16. He said, as also in all his epistles, referring to Paul's epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, meaning that there are things in the Bible, in the new Testament that at first they're hard to understand and you've got to work at them to understand them. But he says, which they, which are unlearned and unstable. These are unsaved people, primarily rest W R E S T. It means to twist out of shape. As they do also other scriptures, listen unto their own destruction. God will destroy those people for messing with His word. Now look at verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Folks, this is the third time that Jesus is telling us He's going to come quickly. But it's been 2,000 years. So do we have a mistake in the word of God? Or did God make a mistake or something? What does it mean? The answer is very simple. When Jesus does come. He's going to come quickly. That's all it means. That when he does finally come. It is going to be so fast. 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Some define the twinkling of an eye as the speed of light. As it comes and bounces off the eye. 186,000 miles per second, the speed of light. I don't know if that's true. I know that God himself has no problem traveling at 186,000 miles per second, if he should so choose. If that's what it actually means, we don't know, but we do know it means fast and it means so fast. There's no time for someone to get saved when the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes and we're caught up together, you know, with the the saints that have gone on before. There's no time for errant wayward backslidden Christians to get right with God. And there are Christians not living right for God. And when Jesus comes, he will come quickly. And this is what it means. Oh, beloved, don't you think it makes sense that we need to live our lives properly at all times, lest he come back and he catch us with our hand in the cookie jar. Lest he come back and there's no time to repent and all of a sudden we're ushered into his presence and sin that is not repented of here on earth is going to have to be repented of There at the Bema, at the, the, I wouldn't say judgment seat, but the call it more the reward seat. Sin is going to have to be looked after. If we don't confess it privately down here, we're going to have to confess it before untold millions up there. It's going to have to be confessed. You cannot just sin and get away with it. Now we're not talking about losing your salvation, but you sure lost a whole bunch of else. You've lost rewards. You've lost the power of the Holy Spirit. You've lost the protecting hand of God. You've lost, you've lost, you've lost. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. It's better to live our lives for the Lord Jesus. Lastly, verse 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And say that last word with me, everyone, all together. Amen. The grace of Jesus Christ is the divine power of God that can carry a Christian through the worst of times. And there will be people becoming Christian in the tribulation and they will need the grace of God to carry them through. Absolutely. But we here today, we need the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ today in our daily lives to help us to overcome temptation and overcome evil and overcome laziness and he overcome the lust of the eyes and the, 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 the lust of the, the, the world, the, the, the pride of life. And so we've come to the end of revelation. We've come to the end of the new Testament. We've come to the end of the entire Bible tonight. And it's interesting. And we don't have the time to look at it, but if we went to the end of the old Testament In Malachi chapter four, verse six, we would find that the old Testament ends with a curse. It says, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And that's the last word in the old Testament. And yet here we find in the new Testament that it ends with a blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Interesting, isn't it? The very last words of God in the whole Bible are there to encourage us to two things. Keep looking for the coming of Jesus Christ and keep trusting in God's grace day by day to give you peace and power so you can live your life for his glory. And this is what the grace of God in a Christian's life is meant to do. And I got thinking about this as I finished up on this sermon and I got thinking about this, and I thought if somehow this tonight, here tonight, should be the very last sermon that I should ever be allowed to preach here on earth. I think I'd like to say amen to these last two encouragements out of the book of Revelation. That God's people, number one, keep looking for the coming of Jesus. And number two, keep depending upon God's grace every day in their lives. Would you pray with me? Our wonderful father, we thank you for this glorious book. We ask you, please, heavenly father, for the grace that we need day by day. To be more than overcomers, to live the way Jesus wants us to live. And the constant reminder to keep looking for his coming. It could be today. Help us to do this. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for allowing us to study such an amazing book as Revelation. And every one of us, if we have followed a good number of these messages, we will have had our, our, our faith increased and strengthened. And help us to use it for your glory. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.